0: So um I've been my daily readings recently have been around the period of the kings in the Old Testament and the prophets that um preached at that time. And just to give the context of the the book of Isaiah, at after David was king and Solomon was king, the nation of Israel um entered a period of civil war and, and divided into a southern kingdom, which the tribe of Judah and Benjamin, and in the north, the, the remaining tribes continued to be called Israel. Obviously in the south, um, Jerusalem remained the capital. And after a string of uh, a mixed bag of kings um, in, the, in the northern kingdom, they were uh, mainly bad. They followed the example of their first king, Jeroboam, who introduced idols. Um, But also in Jerusalem, uh, in the south, the kings there were not always faithful to God. And and the consequence of this was that the nation um, slowly turned away from God and uh, to idolatry. And Isaiah is uh, preaching at a time um, following the death of one king who was particularly faithless. And the situation was very unstable. The, the northern kingdom of Israel had invaded Jerusalem and broken the walls down and um, ransacked the temple and the palace. And now he's preaching at the start of the reign of King Uzziah, who turned out to be a much better king. But there's uncertainty at the time. And um, in some ways, uh, there are parallels with the situation we find ourselves in now with uncertainty about uh, the future having gone through a natural, uh, sorry, a national um, disaster in some ways. And um, there's also parallel spiritually. Um, Recently, we uh, visited my family in Swansea and uh, decided to show the children where we used to live, um, which was just a minute away from uh, Moriah Chapel, which some of you may be aware was uh, where the welsh revival of 1904 began and uh, at the time there were uh, 100, uh, about 100,000 people turned to god and uh, crime rates went down dramatically because of the the spiritual awakening that occurred at that time and now that chapel is um it's still there but I don't think very many people are still attending that church. And we also drove along um, part of the South Wales coast. And as you go along the coast, there are a number of every little every town and every little village has its own chapel and all of them, I think, are poorly attended now and no signs um, outwardly, at least, that uh, God is at work as he once was in this country. And so Isaiah is preaching at a time when... Um, the heyday of Israel and its spiritual heyday and economical heights have have passed and um, instead they're they're facing uncertainty and challenges. And at the heart of the problem is the fact that the people have turned away from God. In verses 2 and 3, which we had read to us, we read that the people of God are his children, but they don't know him in fact they're worse than animals because even animals know their masters even animals like oxes and donkeys know their their owners but israel don't know the, the people god's own people they don't know him and in verse 4 we read that they have forsaken him turned their backs on god they have become faithless in verse 21 of this chapter um, Isaiah describes God's people as people who have committed adultery against God, have committed prostitution because their faithlessness has been so severe. They've turned away from the one who loved them. And in in many ways, the the book of Isaiah is a book of two halves. The first half is bad news and the second is is the good news. And um, this first chapter sort of sums up all the, all the bad news, the faithlessness of Israel, how they've not known God. But as we see in a minute, it does break, break away, uh, break open then into some, a summary of the good news in the start of the second chapter. The consequence of Israel's faithlessness to God have been um, God's judgment on them. As he promised when he made the covenant with them in in Exodus and uh, repeated in Deuteronomy that if they were faithful, they would prosper in the land and they would be a witness to all the nations of the goodness of God. But if they failed to live according to his laws and um, were faithless and rebellious, then the consequence would be that the land would no longer be a good place for them. That they, and ultimately the, there's the threat of exile from the land, which is soon to happen to the northern kingdom of Israel when the Assyrian empire will um, invade and exile them away from their own land. But the threat is also there for the the, for the country of Judah, which on the whole has been a little more faithful, but still has not um, kept it up to its covenant promise to follow god wholeheartedly and the consequence we we read in um verses seven to nine that the country is desolate instead of being this uh, once um famous city to which the queen of sheba came to to visit and to see the, the splendor itself it's instead like a little hut in a field um that's how it must have felt because they were so besieged as you can see on the map, the the nations of Edom and Moab, and Aram and Ammon, as well as um, Assyria, the empire from further east, have besieged the country, and it's now like a a besieged city. And in some of the verses we didn't read, verses five and six, it describes the the country as being um, injured from top to bottom. It feels battered and bruised, and perhaps. Sometimes uh, we can feel like that individually and as a as a people of God as well. The, and this is, be, as I said, this has come about because of their faithlessness. The which at the heart of that was that they did not know God. They turned away from His Word, from the Law, and they'd ignored the the message of His prophets. And the sin had been, uh, resulting sin had had been idolatry, and. Also we read how they didn't stand for justice. They didn't care for those in need. And, that, and that's one of the key um, accusations that God brings against his people here. And also um, that their, their worship was no longer of, of meaning, of value. We heard in the, the verses that were read to us how it was just like they were trampling God's corpse. It was an endless stream of sacrifice and blood, but with no value. God had even turned away from hearing their prayers because their worship had become just a ritual that didn't, that wasn't lit, born out in the heart and in the way they they acted in the rest of their lives. But all is, as I said, um, there's a book of two halves and a message of two halves. All is not lost. And in verse twenty-six, we read that once again, this faithless city who uh, is like an adulterer or a prostitute will once again be called the faithful city, the city of righteousness. And in chapter two, um, the beginning, the summary of the good news comes where this city, um, which uh, you know, Isaiah is focusing um, on Jerusalem as the capital of Judah, as a symbol for the rest of the people. And sometimes Jerusalem is referred to as Zion. And he talks about Zion, this city on a hill, um, which will be uh, a beacon of hope, of light to the rest of the world, how the nations will come to Jerusalem, to uh, Zion, to hear the word of God, the word of God going out from the presence of God. And um, this is the hope that, uh, once again, God's people will be faithful to him. And as I was reading these words and preparing that, a few verses from the New Testament came to mind, which um, refer to a city. And the first is in Hebrews chapter 11, where uh, many will be familiar with a passage that talks of the great heroes of the faith and how they're looking forward. Uh, they didn't receive what was promised despite their trials. They were looking forward to something better um, and the writer talks about uh, Abraham looking forward to a city, a city on foundations whose builder is God, a better city. And in, in Revelation, at the end of the book, um, where uh, John John's vision is of a city, a heavenly Jerusalem, uh, prepared like a bride for Christ, coming down out of heaven. And this is a picture of the church of God, the the united, universal body of Christ, who is Christ's bride, but also a city, the heavenly Jerusalem. And again, um, Jesus' own words that we are a light. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill. And if you if, can you move on to the next slide. You can. Uh, this is. Uh, A photo of the city of Jerusalem, uh, very small in the center of the top picture, you can see a golden dome, which is the uh, Dome of the Rock, a mosque that is now on the site of the original temple in Jerusalem, and you can see that this is a city on a hill. It's actually, um, in modern times, it's sprawled out much larger than it used to be, and it's covers the surrounding valleys and hills as well. In the bottom picture, you can see what the city would have looked like at the time of the early kings of David and Solomon with this city built on top of a hill surrounded by walls, the temple there in the center and on the higher above that, the palace. And I wonder whether when Jesus was talking about this city on the hill, whether people would have automatically thought about Jerusalem because no matter which direction you approached it from, you can see it, it's, it's visible because it's raised up on a hill. And this is the city that um, Isaiah is preaching to, this a city on Mount Zion. And he's talking about it being a beacon to the nations, a faithful city that it witnesses to, uh, to God and his truth. And that is the call um, to the church because we are that city that heavenly Jerusalem that God is preparing as a bride for his son. And that has come, uh, as I was reading, it came as a real challenge and inspiration to me. And that's the first challenge from the message today. Um, As in this situation uh, with parallels to Isaiah's time of uh, uh, national um, uncertainty and uh, disaster of um, a general lack of faithfulness to God, um the hope that god is uh, calling us to to be uh, a light to the nations um and the challenge for me is uh, how am i praying for the church both locally and globally uh, for its leaders and for its ministries that um at this particular time as in every uh, at all times in every generation we Need to be praying that the church would um, be a beacon to those searching, and a, a light to show the way, of God's way. And the second challenge comes from the focus um, Isaiah has on this particular sin of injustice. Uh, we re- we read about it um, in verses uh, seven, sixteen, and 7, verses sixteen and seventeen where he challenges them to learn to do good, seek justice, rescue the oppressed, defend the orphan and plead for the widow. And again, um, verses uh, 23, where he's talking about this faithless city that had become like an adulteress. He talks about their their leaders being uh, bribers and um, that no one defended the orphan and the widow's cause does not come before them." And it, in the Old Testament and in other cultures of that day, the, the plight of the orphan and widow, the, those who the, had lost fathers or husbands or elder sons, um, was the most severe in society often because they had no one to uh, speak up for them. But, but um, in, in Deuteronomy, God gave specific provision for the care of this uh, needy group. That that they should be provided for during festivals. That um, when the harvest was taken, that some should be left in the fields for those who are in need to come and to come and glean. And God's showing His heart for those who are who are needy. And this. Um, comes again. This challenge comes again and again at this time of his, Israel's history, through other prophets such as Amos and Micah, and I'm sure many will be familiar with the verses in Micah to um, seek justice, love mercy, mercy, and walk humbly before our God. That this was a particular challenge to the people at that time, that they, in their um, ignorance of God and His ways, they had become selfish and prideful, and didn't care for the needy in society, and and I, I've been challenged by this particularly um, recently. Reading these uh, books about um, what, how do I care for those in need, and what can I do um, more to care for those in need? And I think it starts with caring for those in need within the church. Um, in Galatians, Paul says to uh, do good to all particularly those of the household of faith, but this challenge comes to us as a uh, people of God to um, and to the people of God then in a particular place and in a particular society and it's, um, n- it's a challenge for us to look out to our own place in society. Um, and society and was um, the challenge for me has been what can I do uh, to care for those in need or to support um, Works, caring for those in need in this town, in the place where I live. And um, for us, we we have um, over lockdown because uh, we've travelled less and haven't spent money on things like uh, childcare and swimming lessons and gym fees and things like that. That we've actually saved some money over the, the last few months. And one challenge for us personally is how to steward. That money best um, so uh, one thing we can do f- to care for those in need may be financially or by prayer um, praying um, for the church, um, a persecuted church across the, the, the world, um, thinking about places like India and Nepal and Bangladesh where there have been, we've heard from uh, partners that there have been uh, floods and landslides and how the church is caring for those in need there. But also that um, Christians in uh, places like India are at the last in the list uh, or even neglected um, when there is food aid provided. Um, So there there are many situations that we can be praying for, for those in need, both within the church and in society. So those are the two challenges that... um, I've had particularly from recently from reading uh, Isaiah and the other prophets of this time, but there, it comes. The question then is: um, for this people of God, this besieged faithless city, how is it going to become once again the faithful city? And we're given uh, an answer or a start of an answer in verse 18, which we had read to us, where. Um, God says this, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be like snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. This faithless, idolatrous, rebellious people are stained with sin. I don't know if we can have the next slide up. Um, this is some pictures of uh, dyeing uh, wool and other textiles, uh, staining it red and traditionally, this was done probably by crushing small insects um, that gave this red dye color. And as you can see, once it's dyed, there's no hope of this becoming white again. The, this, is, this is red, um, barring modern bleaching techniques and things that we might be able to do these days. Uh, in the ancient times, when something was dyed, there was no hope of it um, being made white again but we know that the removal of the stain of sin is possible. In Revelation, it talks of the holy, God's holy people having washed their garments white in the blood of the Lamb. And the, the, the way to becoming the faithful people of God, the, the hope of the nations, is through the, the, first of all through the removal of, of sin, which has been done for us. By Jesus' blood, by Jesus' sacrificial death for us, when he took on himself the consequence, the weight of our sins, the power of sin and evil, so that it could be removed and so that we could become the faithful people of God. And the challenge is then to respond um, with willing hearts and obedience, and by the grace of God, that uh, we can become a faithful uh, people who witness to God's um, truth and particularly um, as a witness um, caring for those who are in need. I'll just pray to finish. Father, we thank you that it is your grace that will um, make us into the people you want us to be, that there is this hope that you are calling us to, that one, one will one day be fully realized, your people united together um, as a witness to the nations and calling people to faithfulness. And it's something that we can experience now too, that you are calling us to now, that, to be a, a light for you, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. And I pray that we would um, draw, draw our hearts back to you, that we would be uh, faithful in um, hearing your word and keeping your word and that you would stir our hearts for those in need, that you would uh, show us those uh, in our, our own uh, communities that maybe that um, it's difficult at this time, but uh, the things that we can do for those in need that uh, maybe that it may be financially or by prayer and or practically and we thank you for those within our, our own congregation who um, serve those um, in need in the food banks or in feeding the roofless and we pray that through those ministries that the light of your truth would shine and people would be drawn to you as as the nations will be drawn to your holy city thank you that this is all possible because Jesus has dealt with our sin, he has dealt with our unfaithfulness, our selfishness and um, self-centeredness. It is all pour, pour, uh, poured out on him and now we can be cleansed, we can have our garments washed white um, and shine um, as lights in the universe. I pray that you'd encourage our hearts with this uh, inspiring message that um, your people can be a shining light and the challenge to uphold your truth and care for the needy in our society. In Jesus' name, Amen.